0: I have a simple belief that if you come to Jesus and you come to a gathering of God's people with hunger in your heart, God will just meet you right there. It's not, there are no, you've probably heard the expression, um, there are no great men, and I'll throw women in there, women of God. There's only people of a great God. So there's no great men or women of God. There's only people of a great God. Does that make sense? So I come to you tonight, really, they they, they wanted me to talk you about powerful prayers, but that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk you about powerful interactions with God, which are the substructure of, of a powerful prayer life. Does that make sense? How many of you would say that you have some kind of uh, devotional life, some kind of way you spend time with God? You're trying. You're, you're giving it your best effort. Yeah? Some of you, okay. So... How many have found that, I'm calling you to be transparent this way, okay? How many of you find that to be less than satisfying in this season? You're like, just isn't working for me. Nobody's going to admit that. Okay, few, thank you. I love the honest people, right? Come on. Even John's like, yeah, man. All right. Part of my journey was, and, and, and Gary, Renee, and many people who've been around Lifeway for a while know my testimony, but a significant part of my journey was after I got saved. So I said yes to Jesus while serving in the United States Marine Corps. I had lived a life of significant sin my journey started with a lot of prayer I, I would after i got converted i would pray and i would seek god my but my prayer times were double dead twice dead ten times dead boring prayers like if you could have a dead prayer meeting mine would be a double dead prayer meeting i would outdo you in every way well my prayer meeting was bad my prayer meeting was worse it was just the way it was and i hungered like many of you in this room i hungered for a relationship with god now, let me say this to you i have a, a have a uh, um A great belief in your age group, your generation, not because of the specific time period in the history of the earth, although I think that's important. I think you were born for such a time as this, as the scripture says. But because of that season of life, there's something about coming out of, you You went through school, then you went through high school, and now you're in your young adulthood, and it's in this season where all your values and things are being formed. You what you, you taking hold of believing what you believe is happening right now, whether you know it or not, you're deciding who you are. You ultimately, the end result of this season is that's where you're going to be. I'm positive of that because I walked through it, and I've coached a lot of people through this season. When Lydia and I were looking at starting... um. Actually, we're just praying about whether we should plant a church that we were at a conference down in Atlanta And there was a guy that walked up to us He was a worship leader had been like really popular like in the the 90s. Some of you were born then That's so crazy to me. Mm-hmm. That just tells you I'm turning 50 in November So, you know, what I'm saying like I feel like I'm 25 on the inside But I know you look at me and go yo, bro, you don't look like that at all. So I get it but that's the way I feel on the inside. But but so this guy was from the 90s. I actually used to listen to his stuff. He walked up to me and didn't know Lydia or me, and he said, "Hey, I believe God's given me a prophetic word for you." I said, "Cool. Um, can I get my wife?" He said, "Sure." And he, the guy talks like he's like he's got to be like in his mid 60s or something, and he would be like talking like I don't know, "Hey, bro, I think God gave me a word for you." I'm like, "Okay, 65 year old surfer dude." Anyway, so. Uh, we met him at the back of the sound but then he walked up to us and we were leading gateway house of prayer at that time i pioneered gateway i was there for a, at least a decade and and when he came up to us he opened up we were saying god are we still supposed to do the house of prayer thing or were we called to plant a church and he came up and he said he said the lord is saying to you that you're not called to do the house of prayer thing you're called to plant a praying church and he said and i see in this church uh, young adults streaming into this church. I see people from the ages of like 18 to, I forget what the number was, 26 or 28 or something like You're going to have a lot of those of that age group. Now, you got to understand, I'm a multi-generational guy. I'm not the kind of guy that looks for one specific age group. But he, but he said, it's important that you lead this because what God wants to do, he, he needs it to happen through you. Well, I, I think one of the reasons is, I believe in what God's doing in you. I don't despise your youth. I want to throw gasoline on your fire. If you don't have a fire, I wanna see it ignited. There's no young adult that should live without fire in their heart for God and for the things of God and for their own life. And so many of your generation are bored, depressed, hurting, and God wants to break in to your world through Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross and his resurrection, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, transform your world. Let me tell you my story. It, when, I was, when, I was a, when I grew up, I grew up in a household that didn't believe in God. My dad didn't believe in Jesus. My grandfather was a, a, a strong, um, avowed atheist, died that way. Never never changed, all the way into his 90s. And, uh, of course, that impacted my father, which in turn impacted me. My mom was converted when, she, when I was 17, 16, 17 years old. I forget exactly when. But she started going to this Pentecostal church called Cowboy Church. If you don't know what a Pentecostal church is, it's a weird church anyway. But then people have a tendency to think we're weird, so I don't know what to think about that. But anyway, but these guys are you know, these big cowboys, and they wear these big belt buckles, and they would go, you know, glory to God, and hallelujah, and slap you on the back. How you doing, brother Jimmy? Ding! You know, I don't know. They met, listen, they met in, They met in. listen to this, they met in Billy Bob's Bar. Now, when I talk about a bar, it's not an ordinary bar. It's one of them cowboy boot scooting bars. It's really huge. It's got a, it's got a, a, a mechanical bull. I had to literally walk around a mechanical bull to get into this little goat roping arena where they would worship. On the floor was hay and those little set-out chairs, really simple chairs that were set out. and They were singing songs like, do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. My mom's like all into it I'm, she's like, come on honey, lift your hands to God, it'll set you free. I'm like, hey set me free, I want to run for you crazy people. (laughs) But those crazy people, look I could, I I wasn't a rocket scientist, okay, I'm still not. But I could look at these guys, people and say, why would these, guys, I mean, these, these are the kind of guys that would, you, you get in a, back in the day, probably get in a bar fight with them. I mean, they punch you out. I mean, these are big dudes. These are men's men of men's men. I'm a Marine at the time. I'm little, but these, these are like manly men. They, 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 like, like, they like to ride bulls and, and, and rope things. Okay, who does that? Except manly men. I wasn't that, but I was kind of manly. I was manly enough, you know, but not, not that manly. And it was in that process and in that season, I began to get this awakening and a hunger for God. But it, I'd said yes to Jesus, like many of you have said yes to Jesus. I would read the Bibles and they felt like myths and fairy tales. And then on top of that, I have my dad and my family reinforcing what felt like myths and fairy tales, simply, honestly, simply because I didn't know how it all works. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. I just, I want to teach you how to have a powerful interaction with God. And the end result of, those, of these interactions of me, I remember there was a time when I begin to seek the Lord and I would sit there and we had this approach that I've taught many times in church and I got other messages. You say, where, where have you taught that? I want to go learn that. I'll, I'll point you to the series, okay? Because I'm not going to do that here tonight. But but there was a time when, as I would sit there and I I would wait on the Lord, I began to sense what we call the presence of God, what the Bible calls the presence of God. It says it over and over again. Yet for me, the presence of God in my mind was this intellectual awareness that God was with me. No, 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 no. There is a presence the Bible calls Shekinah in in Hebrew, S-H-E-K-I-N-A-H, if you spelled it out. It means glory. It means weight. It means there's so much more to the presence of God than just a good feeling in your heart. And you were created to walk with Him in that presence. In fact, Moses was so strong about it, he said, the distinguishing mark of God's people is the presence of God on our lives. If we fail to have that, in fact, Moses asked God this question, how will the world know who we are unless your presence goes with us? Can I just ask you the same question? How do the people in your life, why should people not follow Islam? Buddhism, Hinduism, and any other ism. If a supernatural but very real God cannot be actually experienced through our faith, and that faith actually produced something real in our lives. If people can't look at you and see Jesus in you, how will they see Jesus? And how will you see Jesus in you unless you learn to encounter Him yourself? How many of you uh, are somewhat like one of your parents? Be honest. I used to despise being like my dad. I'm like, I'm, not, I'm not like my dad. I would fight that. I'm not gonna be like my dad and I'm just like my dad, you know, and a combination of my mom. But I'm, I'm like the, I'm the best of all of them. I'm just saying, I mean, I got the best, I'm just kidding. But, but we all have those things, right? Well, the, the reason that happened, right? First of all, there's a DNA component inside of us. That's, that's designed to manifest our family genetics. Then there's the imitation component where i watch them they smile i smile they get that little you know dad makes a face like this i learned to make a face like this and 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 then i see my grandchildren i begin to see these kind of things you can just see how it's amazing how it works well the bible says you've been born again of a of a if you if you know jesus christ you've been born again of a new the bible calls it an incorruptible seed you've got this dna component in you that wants to grow up into something And when you water it through your relationship, you study the Bible, you study Jesus Christ and what He's doing and the way He's doing it, it just begins to happen in you by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's truly supernatural. I I think God has more for your life. So here's the thing. Here's here's what I want to do tonight. I I had the pleasure of of that season of my life as I began to sit and begin to seek God. I was at a Bible study one night, and this lady... Open up the Bible study. She would teach you this boring Bible study from Revelation. Some of you are thinking, you are boring too pal, I get you. Yeah, I get it. I didn't get a lot of time in preparation so that's the way it went. But but this lady opened up this Bible study. She was teaching from Revelation. She was teaching from Matthew. She was talking about end times and weird phrases in the Bible and I was just like all of us were actually looking at it. We were just trying to hang in there and smile but we were not interested at all in what she was teaching. And so while she's going through this stuff and teaching this stuff, she gets to the end of it and just says, hey, today I was praying and I felt like God said that that, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit wanted to do some things here tonight. She said, God said, and whatever. And I'm thinking, God said? What, what do you mean? You got this like telephone call to God? What do you mean, God said? Yeah, God wants to, wants to I think God wants to uh, touch some people here tonight. So here's what I think He wants us to do. I want, I really, we need to repent of our sins and clear the air between us and God. And so she walks us through. So we just begin to repent of our sins. And in, in that room, I begin to sense, for no, as I begin to repent of my junk, I begin to sense the presence of God around me in a very tangible way. I didn't know what to do with that. I just sensed his presence. I was like, well, this is different. I've never felt this before in public, only in my private prayer times. And there's this, in the end, somebody read this passage from the book of Mark that said, uh, these signs will accompany them that believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will heal the sick. They'll they'll pray to the languages and they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover and all this stuff. And and as she read, as, as that was read, it was stated that the Bible says these things will follow. It doesn't say they might follow. It doesn't say they can follow. It says they will follow those who believe. And I was like, okay. Well, you know what I love about young believers? Because all of us were just brand new believers, but especially this girl, Christy. Christy was literally just said yes to Jesus a week previous. We call that being born again, where that new life of Christ begins to work in you. She said yes to Jesus. She walked up to Judy and said, Judy, I need prayer, and she, had, she said, I have a very insist, I want prayer for this, this was all a conversation happening while we were fellowshipping and other things, Judy gets all excited, I hear her, I look around the room with my coffee, and she's whatever, I can hear like, you know, being girly, you know how girls talk, no offense girls, I know I'm I know I'm know stereotyping terribly, but, but in, in that day, the stereotype was really true, anyway, um, so that was going on, they were all excited, Christy, Judy says, come here, everybody. Uh, She said, listen to this. Judy says, I had a vision of someone being healed today of this very thing. And so uh, all of us are looking around. I mean, I'm literally holding my coffee like, okay, curious observer. And and so I'm I'm holding my coffee, and she says, we're going to pray for Christy to be healed. So we're all standing around, and we don't know what to do. And Judy's sitting down. Christy's standing up next to her. And and, and, and so we're watching this process, and I'm sipping my coffee. And Judy's about to pray. She says, let's pray. She closes her eyes. And she looks back up before she prays and says, Jimmy, I think the Lord wants you to help me pray for Christy. This is this is the mom. Judy's a, a mother of one of the, the, the guys in this group. And am like, okay. So I put my coffee down. Here's what I'm thinking. I pray for like 50 people. I've never seen anybody healed. I don't say that out loud. I just think that in my head. But I put my coffee down. And so Judy's standing. I stand there. I'm like, okay, what do we do? I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just standing there. And and Judy puts her, she just touches Christy lightly on her, you know, like her hips on the side. She says, She was sitting, Christy was standing, she says, no long prayer, she just says, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And all of a sudden, listen, it's going to take me longer to tell you that it actually happened, because in my world, everything went in slow motion, while in the real world, it was just moving at normal speed, you know what I'm saying? But in my world, all of a sudden, when she said that, uh, well, multiple things happened. First of all, I saw this Christy was wearing really tight jeans because everybody did back then. It was the, you know, late 80s, early 90s. I'm just saying. So anyway, you all still do it today anyway. So what, 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 but uh, so, but I saw this, you looked like a lump or something move moved through her body, like, 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 like something that did the wave right through her, her, her hip plate, like it looked like it moved, but, but her, but she wasn't moving like this. You know what I'm saying? I'm not even going to be doing it. Okay. I won't move anymore. you I know you cannot unsee that, but anyway, she, it was, there, was this, there was this thing moving, it looked like through her body. About that time, all of our eyes went telescopic, everybody saw it, we we're like, what? And then it felt like the heavens opened up and like lightning struck my body. I've never felt anything like it before or since. It was amazing. It was like, it was the power of God. It's what the, Jesus said, I felt power, he talked, I talked about a woman who touched him, I felt power go out of me. I always read that verse, I thought, that's nice. When I was having the experience, I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And I was scared, honestly. And all of a sudden, I heard what I call, for the first time, I don't know what else to call it, I heard what I call the internal audible voice of God. Audible in the sense that it sounded like a voice to me, internal, and nobody else heard it. And I heard a voice, touch her. I didn't even know what I was doing. I'm like, stuck my hand out as fast as I could. When I stuck my hand out, I was about this far as I am from Jeremiah. I didn't get to touch her, because when I got that far, it felt like I felt all that power discharge out of me into Christy. Christy dropped like a sack of bricks. She went, like somebody gunned her down. I was like, what the world just happened? We'd never seen TV evangelism and seen those fake preachers do all that stuff and shove people over. We hadn't seen any of that stuff. We didn't know what we were doing. I was, I, dude, I was still addicted to cigarettes and all this stuff. I was so imperfect. And all of a sudden I feel this, 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 this I feel that happened. And, and that night, just so many other miracles have in fact. I went right out right after this event. I lit up a cigarette, took a drag off it, and said, because I felt God called me, just told me in my prayer time. You're called to preach the gospel. Well, I'm this addicted, kind of messed up dude. And, and so, not to not drugs, but just to cigarettes and, and just a sexually immoral lifestyle. And, and I, I lit that cigarette I, I literally looked at it. for it was the first time I actually took a good look at my cigarette. I'm like you like, you're serious about this preaching. These things got to go. You know, I was just, I was freaked out. When I left, it felt like a dream. I don't even know how, you know, it's just like, did that just happen? If it weren't for the other 12 witnesses there, I would have thought I was having some crazy experience. Now, some of you, I don't know where you're at. I don't know your walk with the Lord. I don't know what you believe about Jesus. Some of you have been taught these things don't happen anymore. If you've been taught these things don't happen anymore, let me just ask you a very simple and honest question. Why in the world do you believe anything in the Bible? Get honest with yourself. The Bible's filled with miracles. I had to get honest with myself. See, the the people that say it doesn't happen are people who've not experienced it. They're not arguing from the place of experience they're arguing from the place of inexperience. A man with an experience with God is not at the mercy of a man with a good argument about why it doesn't happen anymore. Are you following me? And, 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 the, and the one that wins in that is the devil. The devil is the one whose people are supernatural and empowered, while the church is just kind of like, yeah, we just hope God does stuff. We don't get to get in on that reality like the disciples did, even though Jesus told the disciples in the Great Commission to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Like what? What? Heal the sick, raise the dead, open blind eyes, cast out demons, for the you receive, for the give, preach good news. How many of you read your Bible? You know what I'm saying is in there. I'm not saying this to you to say I have something you don't have. I'm saying this to you that God is inviting. I'm telling you a story of a man who's really experienced some stuff. First of all. Second of all, it was a really messed up man when he experiences stuff. And I'll get to that at the very end of what I'm sharing with you tonight. And then the possibility that I believe a simple thing. If you believe the Bible is an important part of your life, then I want to say this. The Bible was not meant to be exclusively a book of history, but a book of possibility. That it's supposed to hold out. You know what faith is? It's supposed to hold out something to your faith. So I'm going to talk to you about that tonight. Can I talk to you about interactions with God tonight? And Some of you are freaked out. I'm never coming back here. And to that, I would say, I'm so glad you came, and I'm so glad you got to hear this story, and I don't care what you think about the reality of it. I care that you get in on it. It's a whole different mindset. I don't, I'm going to be judged by the living God. I'm going to be judged by Jesus Christ. I will not be judged by any man, ultimately. You, do you agree with that? And therefore, I'm inviting you into something that God wants to give your life. So hey, you say you're never coming back, just stick around long enough to hear these ideas, It was the intention of the gospel of Jesus Christ to reconcile people to God. And that reconciliation includes a very real relationship. Oh, by the way, for those who come Sunday mornings, the reason my Sunday morning messages are so sanitized is because I actually work on them to protect me from things I say, like I say tonight, that get me in trouble. Anyway, you're young adults, so you can handle it. So, so here's the question for you. If, If I could give you several actions, that would transform your relationship with God. Some of you it would begin your relationship with God. Some of you it would it would help it go to the next uh, next experience or level with God. How many you want that? So before I get to some simple actions, the stuff's simple when I tell you it's really that simple. Yeah, it really kind of is actually. Um, all of life. All, basically everything in life, the substructure of life boils down to three basic things. You ready for this? You're like, wow, three basic things. You're on it. Yeah. It's probably not what science would say, but it's what I'm going to say because I think it's biblical. The first is all of life has, has at its root the substructure of ideas. That everything you've experienced in your life started with an idea outside of being a baby and an infant, and you had some kind of little infinitesimal ideas going around like, I need some milk or whatever else, you know, as you grew and you matured, everything in your life has started with an idea. Every temptation, everything that's made you feel good, everything that's made you feel bad, a good self-image, a bad self-image, all that stuff started with an idea. That's the first thing. The second thing in the substructure of all life is all ideas manifest through faith. That you believe something, and that belief carries you a direction. My father, my, my so my grandfather did not believe in God. He had an idea that God doesn't exist. That belief manifested as what we call atheism. It, be, it, it became something, a way of living, as it were. And that leads to that third idea, that all of life, the substructure of life, is action. So you have ideas, you have faith or beliefs, and then actions. Does that make sense? And I could, I could put, a, put anything in front of me, and I will show you... The idea, the faith, the corresponding belief, and the actions that follow that. It's not hard to do. And once you understand it, golly, you can have a conversation with anybody about anything and understand that these th- you'll see these three things always undergirding it. So with that in mind, one of the first actions I want to give you that will change your life is to imagine powerful ideas. What do you mean, imagine powerful ideas? That sounds very new-agey. Well, every time... Mean, Here's what I know. I know that your imagination, like people like, hey, you be, be careful of your imagination. Yeah, you sure should. Most of you have sat in school and daydreamed while your teacher was teaching, right? And thought up some bad ideas. Every sinful thing I ever did in my life started with a bad idea. And then me following that bad idea, right? So why, why can't we surrender our imagination to God through the Holy Spirit and He give us a better set of ideas about God. You need powerful ideas about God. You need, like like most of us have a very small God in our mind. He's very judgy for, to most of the church. He's got enough power to end it all and hold everybody accountable, but not enough power to change things now. Isn't that, I mean, you're not going to say that out loud because you're afraid of God, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, like we got to think that stuff inside of our heart. We need powerful ideas about ourselves. Not not in and of ourselves, but what God can do with us as He sets us free. And then we need powerful ideas about others because every hateful thing you have in your heart about another person is because you only see them in the state they're in right now, not the state they can be when they are free. Jesus, when He was teaching His disciples to pray, Matthew 26, verse 41 said this, Keep watch and pray so that you'll not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus' answer for a willing spirit and a weak body, weak flesh, weak desires to do what we want, was a prayer life. That's Jesus' answer. The one who was crucified, died, and rose again's answer for your life to conquer sin in the flesh... And to manifest something better than what you're currently experiencing, to bring the kingdom of God to others, to bring the love of God to others, to bring the truth of God to others, has its root in a prayer life. At Lifeway Church, we believe it so much. We have, you know, eleven prayer meetings a week. We have got one at six a.m. to seven a.m. Monday through Friday. And I gotta admit, why don't I see any young adults there? What are you doing? You're just sleeping. How do I know that? Because you're young adults. That's what young adults do. Unless you're like one of them hard-working guys and you get up like at five. But even then, you're only getting up because you have to, not because you want to, right? So that's just the way it works, right? We have a noon to um, one p.m. prayer meeting every day, and then we have a seven p.m. to uh, like whatever time it goes on Monday nights prayer meeting. So Monday through Friday, six to seven, noon to one, and then and then Monday evening at uh, seven p.m. Why? Why would I put energy into something that I don't think is important? Why would Jesus arise a great while before daylight, as the scripture says, to pray? Why does God in the flesh even need to pray? I don't know. But if he did, so do we. And so I want to invite you into something. I want to invite you to what Jesus said. He said pray. So let's talk about this watch and pray. Because as a young man, I read the Bible. So remember, I wasn't raised in the church. I don't come to the Bible with a whole subset of predisposition. I just began to read it. And frankly, you should be careful because somebody should have told me you're going to run into some crazy stuff with the Bible. And there's going to be things you don't understand because you don't get culture and history that was happening. But aside from that, God saved me. I get the pray part, watch and pray. But what's this watch part? What, what are we watching for? What are we looking out for anyway? When I worked for a home builder, I, was, I worked with this guy named Dan Seekers. We would build everything on a set of blueprints. This building that you're in started with a set of blueprints. That means through prayer or whatever, the elders of the church, we began to seek God and say, we had a vision for something. We had this idea. It began with an idea. That idea was put into something called blueprints, And I believe God has a blueprint for each of your lives. And I believe that prayer is the place and that your time in the word and the scriptures positions you to see God's blueprint for your life. And I want to say this because God has a blueprint, but the devil has a blueprint for your life, too. Jesus' blueprint for a man named Judas was for him to be a disciple and to be an authentic follower of Jesus. The devil's blueprint for Judas's life was that he'd be a betrayer, one who would turn on Jesus, hand him over uh, to, the, to the religious leaders of his day, and then ultimately kill himself. Jesus' blueprint was eternal life and a life of, of satisfaction. Even though he may have died for Christ, like many of the apostles did, he would have had a life of satisfaction knowing he lived to make the greatest impact that the world has ever known. The devil's blueprint was that his life would end in suicide and eternal separation from God. And unfortunately, I say unfortunately, although God sees it as a good thing, unfortunately we get to choose which blueprint we're gonna walk out. I always tell my kids, you know, if you don't tell your life where to go, someone else will. Everybody's got a blueprint for your life. And you don't need to let them have the steering wheel of your life. You want to surrender that to Jesus and find out what he made you for and then walk it out. You want to hear a weird story from the Bible? Sure you do. There's this weird story. So, so, so there's this guy named Jacob, and he has a, a father-in-law named Laban. And they're, it's a weird, they've just got a weird relationship that's always competitive and, and what have you. But Jacob's been blessed by God. And when it comes to shepherding, he, he just shines. And he's taking care of his father-in-law's flocks. And his father-in-law, they, they were debating, this is how they kind of got their wife back then. So he's having to work for his wife, basically. And, and so then Jacob wants to finally go on his own and say, hey, I, you know, I appreciate living with you, father-in-law, dad guy. But it's time for me and my household to go do our thing, you know. And we got this thing I God wants me to do, and Laban's like, "Okay, you could do that." And Jacob said, "Well, I need to build my own household. Can I work for some wages?" And and so uh, I'll raise all the sheep, and so you tell me which sheep you want and which ones I want. So Laban looks out and sees all. I want all the solid-colored sheep. You can have all the striped and spotted ones because Laban in his mind thought, because those are rare and and regular looking sheep are normal. So I'm going to go for that. And so that's kind of how it went at first. And so then Jacob, I don't know where he gets this idea. It's the strangest story in the Bible, but it has a real powerful point. It's it's in Genesis chapter 30, verse 37 through 39. And then there's this little interim period in between that doesn't, and the two verses in between that won't be helpful. And then 41 and 42. So I'm going to read this to you. It says this, then Jacob took some fresh branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and peeled off the strips of bark, making white streaks on them. Then he placed these peeled branches in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, for that's where they made it. And when they made it in front of the white streaked branches, here's where it gets weird, and they could see they would give birth to young that were streaked, speckled, and spotted. How many learn that in biology? I don't remember that class. If you want a certain kind of sheep and you want it to look a certain way, simply have them mate in front of stripy-looking things. Let them behold that while they're mating, and that's what they'll produce. What? How does that even work? Well, I don't know if that was a supernatural event only for that time. But anyway, it says, whatever the stronger females were ready to mate, Jacob would place the peeled branches of the watering troughs in front of them, and they would mate in front of the branches. But he didn't do this with the weaker ones, so the weaker lambs belonged to Laban, his father-in-law, and the stronger ones were Jacob's. Well, Paul the apostle later, a long time later, Paul the apostle was a man who persecuted Christians, had them thrown into prison, had them killed. Then he himself was knocked off his horse. Literally, we say you need to come off your high horse. Paul was literally knocked off his high horse by an encounter with Jesus Christ. He saw this brightness. He heard a voice. Paul, why? Are you, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He got this guy named Ananias come to him, pray for him that he be filled with the Holy Spirit. And and so he has. he gets healed, his eyes get healed. He's healed of his blindness. It's as if God was saying by the physical blindness, hey, I blinded you to show you the blindness of your heart. I'm healing you to give you sight. And some of us, we need that saying, we got pride. We got issues in our life, and we are blinded by our pride. And, you know, it's almost like God needs to come touch us so that we can see. Humility is the only pathway to real sight. That's an aside. That wasn't even in my thoughts until now, so somebody received that. Anyway, Paul the Apostle, this guy makes this incredible statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And he's talking about our interaction with the Lord. Now, I want you to listen very closely to every word. Are you ready? He says, and we all, say all. Does that mean you? Are you at all? He's writing to a church. It'd be like me writing a letter to this congregation, except he's cooler than me. We all, with unveiled face, He was talking about Moses beholding, uh, having to put a veil over his face and hide the glory that was upon him. And he was comparing it to the law, the Old Testament law and the new, new covenant. So some of you, if you're unfamiliar with that, the Jews made a covenant with God under an old covenant. We've entered into a new covenant through Jesus Christ. So when you read the Old Testament, it's not your covenant. You can learn a lot of things about God and the way he relates to people. Our covenant is a different covenant that's built on faith In Jesus Christ, the whole Bible is important, but that's really important that you understand that because he's addressing that here. And he says, we all with unveiled face, we take that veil off, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. What is the story about Jacob? And what is the the statement that Paul, the apostles making have to do with you and me? if you get honest with your life, you know the next statement I'm going to make is completely true about all of us. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're into. And that's this. You are becoming just like that which you are beholding. You are becoming what you are beholding. You know, We didn't have access to internet pornography and stuff like that to lead me into a life of sexual immorality. But I listened to I listened to pretty uh, risque music back in the day. You know, you guys got the F-bomb dropping your stuff. That was a rare thing. It was blow our mind. And so I would listen to sexually explicit, immoral music. And I loved music. I wasn't a big TV guy. I was a music guy, man. I, I, I could, You start talking about the bands from the 80s, the 90s, whatever. I know all the stuff about everything about that. Well, I used to anyway until I renewed my mind. But in that generation... My heroes, I would become like the heroes. I, I, I bought their ideas, you know? So in your day, it might be, I mean, I'm, I know I'm showing my age here because I'm sure there's cooler people than the ones I'm about to imagine, but like in pop culture, you know, if a Taylor Swift gets up there and she shares an idea, there's a generation of people that grab a hold of that idea and say, yeah, that, that sounds good to me. And it's not because you're dumb. It's because you're in love. Affection... For someone or something opens our heart up to that. If it's music, then then I, I listen to the, the those leaders. If it's politics, people listen to those thought leaders. If it's some form of science or education or whatever, we listen to those thought leaders. All right, whatever we behold, we become like because it starts as an idea. You're becoming what you're beholding. So here's the question I have for you: When you look at your life? what, what blueprint are you actually beholding? And let me take it a step further. What's the picture inside yourself that you see about yourself? Not the one you wish you had, the one that you really, when you look at yourself, I'm stuck. I'm a mess. I feel hopeless. That's your blueprint you're living from. And so hopelessness seems to manifest in your life. No matter how hard you try, you feel stuck. I won't ask you to raise your hand and ask how many of you are there because I know The devil, and I know how good he is, skillful is what I should say, not good, how skillful he is at handing out his blueprint. And how God has a blueprint, but he beckons us to come to it. The devil gives, he comes up and tries to shove his down your throat. God says, I want you to choose it. I don't want to shove it down your throat. What's the picture inside you about yourself and others that you're working from? Here's why. What you're seeing in your mind's eye, your internal picture, it affects everything. Again, God wants to give you a picture, and so does the devil. And the picture, listen, here's why it's important. The picture that you agree with will manifest in your life. People who feel like, I just had a a, a pastor come to me today in our congregation who said, my son, who's, who's in another state, his wife came to him, said she wants to leave him. He's talking suicide stuff, like maybe I should just get out of here. I'm, I'm useless to anybody. He has chronic back issues from his time in the service in the military, and, and he's a hard man and whatever else. He's a hard man because he sees himself as a hard man. That was the biggest change. I was a United States Marine, okay? I got in bar fights for those who've been around long enough like for long. If you've heard me tell those stories, okay? I, I, I would, that's who I was. And I was a, you know what, what I really was? I was a tender hearted guy taking the blueprint of the world's idea of a man, learned how to function in that manifestation of a human being. Some of you look at me, now, and I know I got that mean, I got that mean looking face, I got go, go, go. Everybody's like, oh, okay, I don't like it, but look at me that way. I think God gave me this face to protect me. You know like those bugs that are, that are really weak and crushable, but they got that mean looking like imprint on their back. You're like, dude, that bug is scary. That bug's like, I am the nicest little bug ever that scary little thing is self defense you know that's that's all it is and inside i i wanted to reject the blueprint that a man could be tender hearted caring compassionate because i was taught that men need to be fighters protectors what the you know and so that's what i was going to be that did not just go on video anyway <laughs> but yes it did so so uh And I had to learn, as God saved me and redeemed my mind from this, I had to get a different picture. You're operating from a blueprint. You are operating from a picture in your mind. And the picture you agree with will manifest in your life. Poverty manifests when you feel like I'm just always going to be poor. I mean, I remember just being feeling stuck financially. It seemed like I'd take one step forward and five steps back financially. Anybody else understand what I'm talking about? And part of it was the mindsets I had about money, mindsets I had about about Stuff, judgments I had about my dad and his wealth. I had to work through a lot of issues that I can't get into in this message. Thankfully, Gary Renee can lead you through some of that process. But we, have to, we have to deal with the picture of our family, the picture of others, and the picture of possibility uh, in their lives and our lives. Uh, if you see yourself as rejected, the spirit of rejection is ugly. Because the spirit of rejection causes you to walk into a group. You already feel rejected, and then people pick up that weird thing coming off you, and it causes them to reject you. And the reason you walk in it is you haven't accepted who God made you to be yet. In fact, when I was praying tonight, I I can give you one simple word. I had this one simple thought of all the kind of whatever prophetic-y kind of things I could give. It's just something that I felt like was from the Holy Spirit for this room. Is that, you know, I look at me and I'm like, I'm bald and I'm kind of dumpy and probably eat too much food. And I'm short. In fact, if you could see me naked, and I know you don't want to, so that's cool. You're like, I have a longer torso and short legs, so I look funky even to me my whole life. I would see myself in the mirror and I would be, I would despise myself. Some of you don't get that because you love yourself. You're great. Praise the Lord for you. I'm glad. I wish we all could look at what God made and say like David, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But that wasn't me. I would look in the mirror and go, I am everything that I don't want to be. It was a miracle the day that I was able to say, I don't want to be anybody else. I just want to be who God made me to be. And I could say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, including my short legs, my long torso, my genetic manifestation of a dumpy gut. Rejection is the opposite of attraction. We say a person's attractive. Forget physical appearance. I'm talking about that magnetic thing in their personality that makes you want to be near them. I never had that in my life, everybody would run away from me. You guys know I can talk fast, I could talk faster than I do now. And I did it. I'll tell you, where I, I know where I learned to talk fast. I learned to talk fast because if I didn't get all my ideas and they were going to reject me anyway, so I was going to make sure you hear it. So Madison and I go, and they're like, sound like an auctioneer talking to you, you're like, what? What did he just say? <laughs> Mark Billick was working on the video clip from this week and he found this one funny segment. I mean, I'm glad he didn't show it, but it was funny. He was like, he, he, he was trying to interpret. If you ever see those videos, he puts the little words down below and it, it says what I'm saying. When he had this little outtake that he cut out completely because he couldn't interpret it, he just had question marks. Like, what in the world did he say? <laughs> then he played it for me and I was like, I don't even know what I said. I have idea. I said a few I was like, I sounded like a record playing backwards. I'm like, what the world was that? I said that in my message on Sunday. You can find it, I'm sure, if you listen through whichever version it was. But anyway, my point is, because... My point is, I, I'm okay with me. I'm okay with what God made me to be. Somehow, this dumpy, bald-headed guy attracted a very beautiful lady who's, who's not just beautiful outwardly, she's beautiful inwardly, and she likes doing life with me. I don't need everybody to like me. I just need that close inner circle that God's called me to be. I need, I we do need community, but I don't need it to be everybody. But it did, would have never happened if I didn't start to agree with God about what he saw. In my life, not what the devil saw. It takes one. Listen. It takes one eyeball and a carnal mind to see the failures in other people. Any of us can do that, but it takes faith and a prophetic spirit to see what people can be when they're free. You would have never. There's not one of you who'd be listening to me preach today if you would have known me in my party days and my wild days. You'd look at me and say, "There's no. He's faking it. I'm sure he is. It's not real." No. People thought that about me for like seven years back home in Texas, where I'm from. But in time, they began to go, "Nope, I think something changed. And now my dad is converted. Now my dad's a believer. Now my dad listens to me online every week. I can't even believe that. He calls me up and asks for advice. Like, what? How did that happen? It happened because I didn't try. I stopped trying to change everybody else. I started looking at Jesus and say, change me. I'm done judging people. I'm just going to walk in the light as you are in the light, and I hope that light falls on people and they see what I'm seeing, that they see the God that loved me and gave himself for me. See, God's got a blueprint for your life. And so I want to suggest to you that beholding in our minds the glory of the Lord manifested, uh, the glory of it manifested in someone else's life and praying in agreement with that picture will help lead to their personal transformation. Let me, let me say that again. Remember, we, it's easy to see sin. You're going to see it. Don't ignore it. It's there. You can even call it out. I love my kids. I see their sin. I call it out. But I also don't let other people like, oh, this guy, he's always this, or he's always that, or, or, you know, your daughter's this, your daughter's that. I just look at that and I go, yeah, that's, who you, that's what you see. You're great at agreeing with the devil. That's not what I agree with. I see what the Lord has shown me their future is. And while they may be clay in the hands of a potter, someday they're going to come out not as clay, but as whatever God wants them to be. Did you know that Michelangelo, Angelo, is one of his famous carvings is uh, Michael the Archangel did you know that and 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 here's a famous there's a there's a really powerful quote um, by him and he says this every block of stone has a statue inside of it and it's the task of the sculptor to discover it I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free see for Michelangelo the blueprint was already there whether it was inside the hunk of stone whether by Providence or, or or his own imagination but here's the question I have for you and the people that are in our lives. What does God see in the marble of your life? What do you see in the marble of others' lives? Let me say it differently. You've got to see it before you see it. Do you know this building could not have possibly been built unless somebody could conceive it, put it into a two-dimensional plan, and then build a three-dimensional reality out of it? Even today, we have 3D printers, right? Right? They start out as a two-dimensional thing on the screen. I mean, they have text. they got these cool things that make it look 3D, but honestly, it's just digital pixels, and it is actually two-dimensional until they print it. And then it can make these three-dimensional plastic, or depending on your metal objects, depending on what kind of printer you're using, are you following me? And every time you see and agree with something, your 3D printer on the inside of you gets activated and begins to manifest those things in your life. So if you came here for a novice, like I want a novice lesson on prayer, I wish I could tell you this is some advanced thing. This is the only way to pray. You've got to see it before you see it. And so many of you, you pray. We talk about powerful prayers. The reason your prayers aren't effective or you don't feel like they're getting answered is because you don't even know what the answer looks like if it gets answered. And I started there. I know that. Remember I told you, double dead prayer life. I totally get it. I'm a guy today who could say that pro- I would bet at least 50% of my prayers get answered. Now, I don't because I believe they actually will get answered, I don't ask as much as I used to because I'm scared of what will come out sometimes. Like, well, am I sure I want this? Which leads to, a next, to another idea, and that's this. You manifest those ideas, that printer goes into action, by powerful faith. I said in a message a few weeks ago, hope says it's possible, faith says it will be. Hope says it can be, faith says it will be. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 26. He had just come along the down. He had cursed the fig tree. I talked about this Sunday. The fig tree dried up from the roots. The apostles were so freaked out by it. They were like, whoa, Lord, did you see that fig tree that you cursed? It's, it's, it withered up. And this is what Jesus said in Mark 11, 22 through 26. So Jesus answered and said to them, he's talking to the disciples. Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever, listen to this. We're talking about a series on on beyond words, but listen to what he says about words. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. That's kind of a scary weapon. It's like if I handed my five-year-old a knife and said, you can chop tomatoes, you can go do bad things in this thing. It's all up to your imagination. See, there are notions of the sovereignty of God that actually aren't biblical notions. Like, we can actually screw stuff up. We wouldn't want to believe that. I actually, I think a lot of the ideas of the sovereignty of God are the way they are. God is sovereign. Every screw-up, he'll fix. Well, ultimately, he will, but that doesn't mean that the moment that I screw something up, I mean, I, I've, God has had to help me walk through some pretty stupid stuff in my life. And I found the key to those seeing those things change was owning them. Instead of justifying them and ignoring them, I begin to look my weaknesses square in the eyeballs and go, Lord, that sin in my life is there. I'm responsible for it, but I need you to help me to change it. Do you see the difference? I'm not saying you're responsible for my sin. And there are notions of the sovereignty of God that say, you're the way you are because God made you this way. I'm like, no, you made you that way. God made you a certain way. And then you stewarded, you managed your life in such a way that sin came out of it. God didn't make Adam and Eve sin. He just put choices in life, and they chose the wrong choice. How many of you get Adam and Eve? I do. I get making lots of wrong choices. And, man, it's a good day when you realize just as much as you led yourself down a bad path, you can lead yourself into a new one. You're not hopeless because you still got the power of choice. As long as you can choose and choose God, you can find grace to change. So Jesus says, therefore, I say to you in this light of this, have faith in God. He says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. So believe that you receive them in the present tense and you will have them in the future tense. You say, I don't know if I believe in that kind of stuff. You do. Every one of you does. Every time you go to work at a job, you believe you have a paycheck now that hasn't manifested yet. Right? Talk to me, wake up young adults, right? So people are like, this is some hyper-mystical, weird stuff. Believe that you receive them and you will have them. Every time I would go to work, I would believe that I would receive a paycheck. And what do you know? That hope would manifest eventually as a paycheck. All that hard work paid off. What would happen if we would pray like Jesus taught? I'm going to pray and differently. I'm going to believe that there is some kind of supernatural reality thing happening that I don't fully get, but, I, but Jesus said it happens. Like, do you need a degree in kinesiology to do this? No, you just squat. Now there's somebody out there that can tell you every little thing that has happened in your body when you squatted, but that person is not me, and I don't need to to squat. And you don't need to understand everything about the realm of the spirit, supernatural stuff to understand that prayer works when you do it right. What's doing it right? You have a relationship with God. You're praying with expectation and faith. Jesus said, you believe that you receive it. He says, you will have it. James, one of his, di- his brother and one of his disciples said, let a, a double minded man is unstable in his ways. That person shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. So we got this thing about faith that's important. So, so, okay, so you hear what I'm saying, right? Faith's important. Now, all of us have dealt with unbelief in our prayer life, right? Any of you? Everybody? Me? So how do I do it? I, I believe that I see it, right? So if I say I need to see it before I see it, let let me me give it to you this way. When I'm trying to see something for prayer, I start with seeing what it currently is in its messed up state. Dude, when I saw this building, when we tore the walls out, there were everything wrong. It was so wrong. The floors are unlevel. They're still unlevel. You just don't know it fully unless you walk in certain rooms. Um, we We had so much work to do But I had faith in what this could be. I didn't look at it, keep it in its current statement, but I started there. Because to go from where it was to where it was going to be required a process. And to go from where you are now to where you're going to be, what God is building in your life will require a process. And you got to believe that God can take you to the place of fulfilling it. So I start with, here's what it is currently. Then I say, now, so what, what's it look like changed? I want you to know if there's one thing you get out of tonight. He said, I don't remember anything. I guess said he said a bunch of stuff. Remember this. When you go sit and pray the next time, I want you to turn your 3D printer on. And here's how you do it. You, what is it. What is that situation? My job, that relationship, my whatever it is, whatever you think God wants to do. And you're looking at the Bible and you're saying, God says, like when it came to salvation, like, so when you're praying for somebody to be saved, the Bible says it's, it's God's will to save people. It's God, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all will come to everlasting life. I know if I'm praying the will of God or the word of God, I'm praying the will of God. And so <clears throat> I might see, okay, my dad, when I would see my dad, I would see my dad saying yes to Jesus. In fact, one time God gave me a dream of my dad saying yes to Jesus with tears in his eyes. I needed that because I could not believe my atheistic father was ever going to come to the Lord. How many have one of those in your life? That person's never coming to God. Man, just say, God, show me what they look. Show me it. I see that. Show me what it looks like with them saying yes to Jesus. And I pull that picture back up and I would pray for him. Now, God wasn't putting that picture in my mind. I was. Well, I don't know if that's good for you to put things in your mind. Anybody gone to school? You stuck a lot of stuff in your mind. Don't get weird about this. All right, So I would just pull my dad up in my head, and I'd be like, I see that picture of him saying yes to Jesus. i say, Lord, I agree. I see it, and I agree with it, and I'm asking you to manifest it in his life. I'm asking for you to save him. I'm asking you to rebuke the devil off his life and his mind and let him see. My prayers weren't complicated, but something different was going on on the inside. It wasn't what I said out loud. I'd said that stuff many times. What was different is I could actually see it now, and I believed God could do it. I believed God would do it if I would not give up. Some of you are new tonight, so you've never heard me tell the story of pounding concrete, but I I would I worked for a builder and we had to rough in some plumbing into a um a basement job that we were doing. And so I came out there out to the job, and when I got there, they just took it a concrete saw and cut around this three foot by three foot square and there was this guy named Phil. They handed him what they called a digging iron. I didn't even know what digging iron was. Like in Texas, we don't know what digging irons. We use jackhammers. You know, da, 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 da. What's this? A human being grabbing a single bar began to pound this concrete. And he's just beating this thing like crazy. And I'm watching him do this. I was like, this guy's crazy. I look at Dan, the, the builder. I was looking at my, my boss. I was like, dude, he's never getting through that concrete. He goes, oh yeah, he yeah, will get through it. Just, just wait. Bam, bam. He must've hit that thing 100, 200. I don't know how many times. He hit it so many times. He kept pounding that thing, and after a little bit, it began to flash, and then it it suddenly crumbled, and it disappeared into this little rubble. And I heard the Holy Spirit say something to me. He said, that's how you break a stronghold in your life. I'm like, what are we talking about? And I heard the Holy Spirit say, in this picture, Dan is the intercessor. Phil is the Holy Spirit, and and you're the devil. I'm like, what? I'm the devil? And, and, And then the Holy Spirit went on to explain to me that just as the intercessor gets a target, right? That thing that we're seeing and agreeing with, we draw the target in our mind and they begin to pray. The the Holy Spirit begins to pound that thing as you agree. The Holy Spirit and the supernatural power begins to work on that. And then as you continue in faith, that thing will eventually break. But what happens while you're trying to go a long way is the devil comes along and says, you don't got enough power. You need, you know, you need a jackhammer. You need something more than what you've gotten. All the intercessor has to do to the devil is say, No, you're wrong. I know that if I persevere in prayer right now, I will get my breakthrough. It's Bible. Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 18, all tell those stories. Jesus said in Luke 11, in the story of a friend coming to a friend at midnight, he said, though that friend will not rise and answer him because he is his friend, but listen, this, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him what he needs. And basically, he says, so will God. I'm just telling you Bible. You may not like what you're hearing, but I've found that most people, it's not that the Bible's been tested and found wanting. It's just not really thoroughly been tested yet. We don't want to put the work in. We think it's a, salvation's free. It is, but there's a lot of work in everything else. There's a lot of work in becoming like Jesus. There's a lot of work of beholding him. My kids didn't have to earn being born, right? Mom and dad just did the biological process, and God conceived, and there they were. They didn't earn that, but they had to learn to walk. They had to learn to talk. They had to learn to eat, to be potty trained. They've had to learn to adult now. Like, they've had to learn everything. How many of you have grown up, and you understand that that's hard work? You didn't earn your birth. That was given to you as a gift, but you've had to walk your life out, right? So it is with eternal life. You get born again by grace through faith. You don't earn that, but there's a lot of work in growing up into maturity, into God. There's about a thousand more things I wanted to say to you. That is not going to happen. Um, there will be a part two to this, but I, I think what I'll do is I want you to stand your feet. Can we just let, let's let's talk to God? Holy Spirit, I invite you right now turn just like don't just listen to a like a preacher guy pray like t- really like I want you to try something we talked about seeing like the Bible tells us in the book of revelation that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God he burns like a fire from the waist up he burns like a fire from the waist up hes brightness he's He shines like the sun in its strength. That's who Jesus is. When I spend time with the Lord, the Bible tells you, listen to this. He says this in Colossians chapter 4, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Just set your mind. Tell your mind where to go right now. It wanders, right? Doesn't it wander aimlessly until we tell it where to go. Let's take captive our thoughts and set it on things above. I know what happens to a lot of us. I want you to keep going there while I talk to you. Set your mind on Jesus right now, on things above, on the one who died for you. I know what happens. Our sins meet us first, right? We begin to set our minds on God and the weaknesses and our failures greet us first and say, you were not worthy to come into his presence. I I rebuke that lie in Jesus' name. You You were not worthy But Jesus died and paid for your sins so that you could come boldly, as the Bible says, boldly before the throne of grace to find all the help you need in your time of need. He wants to help you right now. He doesn't want to shame you. He wants to save you. He told the apostles when they wanted to call down fire in Samaria, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. He wants to save you. He loves you. You. He died for you. And the like the reason I told you about me, I hate to tell the part about me going out and lighting a cigarette after these amazing events. I didn't even tell you that story very well. I, like all the people have heard it a thousand times. Like, you did a terrible job of that. I know I did, but, but God met me there and He didn't make it based upon where I was at currently, but what He knew he would do with me. I want you to know He wants to meet with you tonight, not on where you're at, but what He knows He'll can do with you if you'll surrender. And I wanna give you one simple thing as as you're praying here to consider. It's this thing called consecration. It's a lost word in the modern church where we consecrate ourselves to God. Let me say it differently. It's okay to give up stuff for Jesus. Like like it seems to be cool today to hang on to all the world's junk. You know, in each one of us, there may be debatable things that some can do that some can't, it doesn't mess you up. I said to the church a couple weeks ago, John Wesley said that worldliness is that which cools your affection for God. What is in your life that's cooling your affection for God? That while your eyes are set on Jesus, you say, Lord, I would surrender that. I want more. I, I want the trade. I want the exchange. I want eternal life for this dead, boring life that I've lived in. I want healing for my pain. I want what Isaiah 61 says. I want the oil of joy for mourning. And I want the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God wants to take some of you, your sexual abuse, and he wants to touch you with a pure heart that's not afraid of, 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 of sexuality and, and the purity of it when it's done right. Some of you, God, God wants to meet you right there with your poor self-image and body image, and he wants you to come to that place where I found in the grace of God where I can go, I just I'm okay with, I'm okay with me and the clay that God's made, because He's gonna make something beautiful out of this when it's all said and done. Not the body, but the inward person of your spirit. He's got a glorified body for you. It's going to rock. It's going to be, blow your mind. You're going to shine like the stars in its strength, 1 Corinthians 15 says. It all starts right here. I set my mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It starts with a prayer and a prayer life. That lady, Judy, for all the weirdness of the stuff she taught that night, one thing she was right about, and I want to ask you to do it right now. I want you to ask you to clear the air between you and God. Now, I'm going to give us just a few, few moments in silence, maybe 30 seconds, it won't take too long. But I'm going to be quiet while, while Jeremiah plays. I want to give you some personal time in the inner space of your mind to take what you know is in the way, in the air, blocking the airflow between you and God, and to surrender it. Surrender does not mean you know how to get rid of it. Sur- surrender says, I want to. Jesus, I want to, and I mean it with all my heart. That's what surrender is. I want to do the will of God, the ways of God, whatever He wants, however He wants, that's surrender. Surrender is not some mystical thing. It's just being fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Call it surrender stuff right now. We all got stuff. I'll do mine out loud and then you can get some ideas. Lord, I surrender the lusts of my heart, the things that get in the way. Of simple and pure devotion, the things that get in the way of purity, I I hate impurity in my life. I want to be touched by the whiteness of your glory. I want to be touched by the fire of your devotion. Lord, I repent of my anger, God. I hate being angry. I hate having just thoughts of of, of, of things that that shouldn't be towards other people when they frustrate me, which leads to my desire to get rid of my selfishness. Lord, I'm so tired of being self-centered. It's not about me, it's always been about you. I find my life when I give it away. I find encouragement when I encourage others. I find it when I praise you in everything and and don't worry about anything. I I find it in you. Lord, forgive me of my anger. Forgive me of my my pent-up stuff and I just surrender it to you. I don't know how to get rid of it, God. I just know how to come to you before this throne of grace to get help right now. Holy Spirit, I'm asking right now as they're they're talking to you and focused on things above where Christ is seated right God. you'd move through this room upon hearts. No drama or fanfare on my part, Lord. I don't care for all that. You know that. But I believe we all need a supernatural experience inside our inner man that says God is real and he's in my world right now. Father, you know where they're at and what they're facing. I'm asking for your healing to touch lives in Jesus' name. I really feel, I know one in three women and one in four men has been sexually abused by the time they're 18. I feel like God wants to heal that in some lives tonight. You don't gotta come talk to me about it. I'm not asking for that necessarily. I just know that God says, I know. Like you, you might wonder why God would allow that or whatever. Listen, God allows choice, period. And there's a day called the judgment seat of Christ when he will render judgment on all choices that did not honor him. Those who did not repent of those choices and put them under the sacrifice of Jesus will pay for their sins. Those who put it under the sacrifice of Jesus deserve forgiveness, not because of, what, not because of them, but because of what Jesus did who, did, who deserved no punishment. God wants to heal that area of your life. He doesn't want it to define you or control you. You're not defined by those things. So if you're here tonight and that's you, I'm just gonna I just want you to poise your heart to receive from God right now. You don't got to do anything. You don't even got to lift your hands right now. Just inside God, I hear that. You're talking to me. I'm going to pray for healing right now there. Your Father, I pray you take them right to the memory of the worst moments. Speak peace. Be still now in Jesus name. Just like the storm on the water when the apostles were afraid, that fearful moment. I say peace. Be still in Jesus name. Receive healing in Jesus name in those dark places of your inner man. Receive healing. And peace in Jesus' name. You know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's making a covenant with Jesus that does. It's saying yes to Jesus and inviting Jesus into your life. Some of you say, I've not experienced, I've gone to church my whole life, but I've never experienced these things. Have you ever actually asked Jesus to to run, call the shots in your life? We call it confessing Jesus as Lord. People say, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. So did I when I was eight and it didn't work because my heart wasn't surrendered. It only works in the right condition. It's like putting a seed in soil. It's got to have water and sunlight, time. The right condition is this thing called faith and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And maybe you're here tonight and you haven't done that. And while your heads are just, while you're focused on God, I'm asking for those of you tonight, I I, the gospel is simple. Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again that those believing in him would not perish but have eternal life. And he wants to save you tonight. He's not willing that any should perish, but he does require you to to covenant with him to let him lead your life. He'll make it better than it's ever been. I've never done some, I didn't, I have no regrets. And you'll feel peace on your heart come upon you. You'll feel those burdens lift, and you'll feel the newness of what we call being born again happen, a new DNA planted in you that's not bent on sin, but is bent on getting it out of your life. If you find you're still bent towards sin and you want freedom tonight, am I going to call you up here? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you right where you're at. I want Jesus, and I want to surrender to his leadership over my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand high and just let me pray for you? Anybody else? Ten of you? Let's pray together. Put your hands in. Can we all invite a deeper surrender and a deeper encounter with the Holy Spirit? A powerful interaction with God. How many want that? Would you pray that? Pray, Say, God, I want a powerful interaction with you in my relationship with you. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Teach me how to walk with you. I want a relationship with you of biblical proportion. I want to experience what the apostles did and the prophets did and all the men and women of God did. And I'm asking you to work these things out in my life. I want to live a life where I know Christ, where I discover my purpose and I impact lives for your glory. And so I'm asking right now that you would start something tonight that every time I come to pray, that you'll meet with me there. When I don't understand the Bible, that you'll give me living understanding of what you were trying to say, but more importantly, help me walk it out. Help me to love others in Jesus' name and reveal your grace to them. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate the 10 people who said or whatever it was, they said yes to Jesus. The Bible says heaven rejoices when that happens. And for those of you uh, who do that, I just speak peace and grace over your life. I break off shame in Jesus' name. Shame sucks. Can I just say it that way? It just stinks. It's so bad. It's debilitating. It's paralyzing. And you weren't meant to live a life of shame.